0: To do the teaching this morning as we wrap up uh, a series of messages called Afterlife Heaven, Hell, and the Renewal of All Things. And uh, today we're doing something that uh, I've never done before, and we'll see if I ever do again, depending on how today goes. Which is, uh, the content of uh, the message this morning is in response to questions, uh, submitted by, uh, by y'all. And so, thank you for uh, all the submissions. Uh, there, as of last Sunday, I had, I had a few, a handful, and then I kind of laid it on pretty thick. And got overwhelmed this week uh, by all kinds of questions. And I'm not, some of you, I, God bless you, um, you know, sending them in on Friday evening or Saturday. I'm not sure when you think I prep. <laughs> I know it seems like most weeks I'm winging it. But I do prep. So, um, I, I'm not going to be able to respond to every single question. Uh, that was submitted uh, this week or in previously and uh, uh, I what I will aim to do is over the next uh, week or so if I don't touch on your your question, uh, I'll send you some resources or send you some uh, some thoughts uh, related to the questions you've submitted. So um, in our series, just to recap, what um, we've been trying to give a, a biblical overview of what the of what the scriptures teach about what happens from the moment you die, we die eventually um, to the end of all things as we uh, come into the realized kingdom of jesus and uh, so big picture, what we 've been teaching is that uh, when we die there 's a separation between our body and our spirit, um, and our spirit uh, enters into the very presence of Jesus um, in heaven, the present heaven, the heaven that is now the um, which is a place. Uh, my speculation would be that uh, it is uh, maybe one of the uh, dimensions that we are not able to see. Uh, but it's the place where the resurrected Jesus is in bodily form now and uh, where the spirits of those who have passed away are in the presence uh, of Jesus. Paul, the apostle, writes that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He looked forward to, even looked forward with anticipation to the day of his death. He said, for me to live now is Christ, but to die is great gain. He said, I'm torn between the two. I've got work to do here, um, but my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. And so... um, there is a sense, and we'll talk about this in a few moments, There, there is a, some indications in the scripture that those who have passed away, who are in the presence of Christ, are aware of the events happening on earth, and yet they're experiencing peace and comfort in the presence of God, and are awaiting the, resu- the day of resurrection. That the day is coming where Jesus himself will return in bodily form to this earth, to bring his kingdom and there's all kinds of debate and we have not we have intentionally avoided the debate of are you pre-trib are you post-trib are you premillennial, uh, premillennial post-millennial amillennial are you we've there's all kinds of debate it's not the big thing not the big idea you can get we can we can get all caught up in the weeds and miss we can miss the forest for the trees if you will and uh, so, but we do know that the day is coming where uh, God is going to renew this creation, that uh, the present heaven is going to come to this present earth, and that heaven and earth will unite, and that God will make His dwelling among us on this renewed creation that he 's going to renew all things together and put all things right that he 'll bring judgment that He will bring judgment on those who have done evil and um, and those who've experienced the grace of God through Christ, who've uh, trusted in him, will be part of his kingdom and will uh, be with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. And we will uh, we'll be people, we will remain people, that we will rise again in bodily, we'll have a body. So these pictures that we have of heaven, of being you know, in the clouds, floating around, playing a harp, just are are cute and everything, but they're just not biblical, right? They're not um they're not true. Um so that's that's the idea and we've talked about how this view of the coming kingdom and, and of of eternity of the never ending coming kingdom of a renewed heavens and the renewed earth how that ought to transform us in the present that our belief about the future ought to have a profound impact on the way in which we live now and that uh, those who are heavenly minded can be of great earthly good and in fact are called to be of great earthly Good. Okay, so that's the that's where we've been mostly, and um, that's the twenty thousand foot view. So we're going to get into some questions, and I've I've grouped the, the questions according to some themes, but as we do that, I want to just uh highlight a verse out of Deuteronomy uh twenty nine, verse twenty nine. And Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says this it says, the, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things, some translations will say, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, so that we may follow all the words of this law. And I bring this up because we're not told everything. That some things are revealed to us, and God's revealed some things to us in a, in a scripture, and they belong to us, to our children, to to the community of of humanity. They belong to us forever so that we may follow all the words of the scripture. He's given us enough. He's given us what we need. The scriptures are sufficient. Scriptures are enough. So what we have in the scriptures are enough for what we need to know. But there are some things that he's not revealed. That he's chosen not to give us. And so we need to set the proper boundaries, and so we can ask all kinds of great questions. And I think even the scriptures invite us into um, godly imagination of what the future looks like. But there, um, there is uh, there uh, some of my answers are going to be, I don't know. We're not told, and it's not a cop out, but it's it's just a, a a realization that there are limits to the revelation that we're given here now, and let's so let's limit ourselves to to that and to what the scriptures have to say. All right. So now I don't have to give any real answers. I can just say, okay, so um, some questions uh, were, uh, so the first theme is related to death and dying, death and dying. Let's get this one out of the way first. It's our favorite subject, right? So uh, a number of you asked, is it okay to cremate, cremate the bodies of the deceased? Is it okay? Is cremation okay? And, um, it's one of the, the, uh, huge culture shifts really in the, the last decade, I think, uh, is the, the rise of, cre- the use of cremation. And, um, it's, it's, you know, by far the majority practice, uh, now, if you ask funeral directors, um, is uh, that most people are, are disposing of the bodies of deceased people through cremation, and so is that okay? Because we believe in the resurrection of the body, and so is it okay? Short answer is yeah, it's fine. Okay, uh, the 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 scriptures say that when we when we die, our bodies return to dust, and uh, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Whether that takes thirty to fifty years. Uh, in a casket returning that body to dust or whether it takes 30 to 50 seconds in a furnace uh, either way that body returns to dust and uh, God's not limited to the very specific molecules that made up your body because those are actually always changing and in fact many of the molecules and atoms that are currently making up your physical body used to belong to someone else's body because they became fertilizer Plants grew, we ate. Can't, that's just the reality. Okay, so now culturally, <laughs> wasn't planning on going there. Um, culturally, um, some some cultures would view cremation as a great disrespect to a human body, and if that's um, and if that's maybe what you've grown up with, then it's fine not to. But but let's understand that as a cultural thing. We do, as followers of Jesus, we don't think the physical is ugly and dirty. We believe that God is going to resurrect us in a physical body, in the new heavens and the new earth, which is physical. And so we're not uh, we we don't hold to uh, a Platonic view of the world. Um, didn't didn't want to go there either. But anyhow, so all that's to say is if if you feel like it's disrespectful. It's probably cultural, a cultural understanding, and it's okay. Don't do it, but let's not judge those who do. Capish? Can we communicate with the deceased? Can we communicate with people who've died? Are they watching over us? Some say, "Well, I've seen a butterfly, I've seen a dragonfly, and oh, I think they're with me." Um, we're never told in the Scripture to pray to the saints or for the saints we're never told to pray for someone who's died or to pray to someone who's died though they are likely praying for us they're in the presence of god revelation chapter 6 they are praying to jesus they're praying uh, probably likely praying for us they're aware of some events on earth some uh, one question was like well if they're aware of events on earth would they not experience some sadness very likely very likely, we're told that in the new heavens and the new earth, God's going to wipe away all tears. There will be no more sorrow and sadness. That's in the eternal heaven, the, the redeemed, fully realized kingdom. In the present heaven, they may experience uh, some sadness. Jesus is uh, in the present heaven, uh, meets a man on the road to uh, 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 Damascus named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and he speaks to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is obviously experiencing some sort of pain and and, and and angst about what Paul is doing to followers of of Jesus. And again, a, a great passage to read on this, and you can do this on your own, is Revelation 6. And there's a lot of different insights that you can gain about the nature of the present heaven and what uh uh, the saints are doing there uh, in, the pre- in the present heaven. That's specifically speaking of martyrs mostly, but uh, martyrs also means witnesses. And so um, it, it could be referring to all of uh, the followers of Jesus. Uh, but can we communicate with them? No, probably not, um, though they are very likely aware of uh, some events happening on earth and we're never told to communicate with them. Okay, second uh, uh, um, category of questions would be our relationships in heaven. Our relationships in heaven, and that's the eternal heaven. Again, we're looking forward to the renewal of all things in the eternal heaven. So, first question, will we recognize each other? Will we recognize each other? I think maybe the uh, idea that maybe, maybe we won't recognize one another comes from uh, Jesus. So we're told that uh, the the pattern for our resurrection body is is Jesus Himself, right? That we will have a resurrection body just like Jesus had a resurrection body. That Jesus is the first fruits of, the, of from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. The New Testament says so. Um, w- much of what we would gather about what our our experience, our bodies will be like, would be that of the resurrected Jesus. And so Jesus was uh after his resurrection, walked seven miles together with two of his disciples, Cleopas and, and likely his wife, but another disciple, from Jerusalem, seven miles to Emmaus. And uh it and and over those seven miles they're having a conversation, and those two disciples who followed Jesus for years didn't recognize Jesus. And so we're we're thinking, well, maybe maybe he obviously looked crazy different and they didn't know that it was Jesus. But the text actually says they were kept from recognizing Jesus, that there was an active, uh, for for some reasons, there was, some, there was an active keeping of them from recognizing Jesus. Uh, for example, um, Jesus had an experience that we call the transfiguration, and three of his disciples came up the mountain with him and witnessed, and Moses and Elijah came and, and, um, and were with Jesus. Now, uh, Peter, James, and John would not have met Moses or Elijah. They lived thousands of years before them. There weren't digital photographs or even film photographs of Moses and Elijah, and yet they recognized them. And so, um, likely it was like their very being emanated from them. They knew who it was. Maybe they asked Jesus. I don't know. But we'll, we will be ourselves in the eternal heaven. We'll be ourselves. And so, yes, I think we'll recognize one another. Okay, a number of you. This was, an, again, a very popular question. Will I meet my baby who died in utero? So, obviously, a, a question fraught with, you know, attach, much pain attached to that, much hope and angst. What about young children who've passed away? maybe before they've even had the ch- chance to receive Jesus or not what about babies who've been aborted so the short answer is that this belongs in one of those categories of Deuteronomy 29:29 29, 29, that we're not told directly we're not told directly we're not told directly i wish i could say oh for sure We trust them to the mercy of a God full of grace, full of compassion, a God who delights to show mercy. I think we have great reasons for hope and expectation that, yes, we'll meet those babies. But there isn't a, I don't have a, I don't have a chapter and verse to say, see, that's where it says it but we do have great hope in our God who delights in mercy and grace. There might be a reason we're not told directly. I think if we were told directly, all babies go to heaven automatically, free pass there is a sense in which we may not be as concerned about health care, about poverty, about abortion. That if we were like, oh, well, yeah, it's too bad that they didn't have much of a life here on earth, but at least they'll be in heaven forever, that we would not be as engaged and seeking to relieve poverty, to eradicate disease now, and to call out the gross evil that is abortion. So that might be one of the reasons why we're not told directly, chapter and verse, about this. But again, character of God. Some point to uh, David, David, um, lost a, a baby in infancy King David and uh, there's a part where he says you know uh, the baby can't come to me but I will go to him and there's some you know some who say well that's obviously teaching that uh, David's going to see him in heaven there's there's much debate over what the words actually mean and so we can't for sure say that that's what that's all about All right, next question. Will we be married in heaven? Will we have babies in heaven? Will there be family in heaven? Those kinds of questions. So, um, the, the, the eternal heaven is a culmination of history, not an erasing of history. I believe my sons will always be my sons. In heaven, God, Lord willing, that they come to trust in Christ, that um, that they would be my sons in heaven as well. Will there be family in heaven? Yes, one big happy family. This is this is one of the greatest things about heaven. Jesus in Luke chapter eight, um, he's teaching a bunch of people, and uh, and, and, some, and one of his disciples come and say, "Hey, your mother and your brothers are are here to see you." And Jesus says, "My family are all those who do the will of God." The family of God actually transcends biological family. And so one of the great things we can look forward to in heaven is that all of our family members are friends. And all of our friends are family members. Isn't that good? Because we've all got that one uncle, right? (laughs) We've all got that one brother or sister that all family members are friends. Harmonious relationships And all friends are family members. And maybe in this life you've not been able to have children. In heaven you will have relationships that will meet your needs to invest in and care for and help and to guide other people. Your parental longings will be fulfilled. Maybe you've never had a parent in this life that you could trust. And in heaven you'll find trustworthy parents everywhere reminding you of our great God who parents us. Matthew 22, Mark 12, Jesus teaches that we will not be married, however. Not married to each other, at least. There will be one marriage between Christ and his bride. And the earthly marriage is but a shadow of the true and ultimate marriage that is the substance. You see, the the marriage that we experience here in this life, is but a picture, is but a shadow of the, of the thing that is casting that shadow is the relationship of Jesus and his bride, his, his church, his people. And so it'll actually be better. It'll be better. You'll be like, but then what about my husband? What about my wife? Isn't that going to be weird? Listen, Sherry is my best friend, my closest sister in Christ? Will we become more distant in heaven? No. I, I imagine that we'll still be best friends. Just not be married. Third area. So, death and dying, relationships in heaven. The third is the nature of life in heaven. What's heaven, what's, what's the, what about the quality, the characteristics of life in heaven. Um, so, first question there, will we remember our life? Will we remember our this life? Yes. Yeah, we will. The scriptures t- talk about having every tear wiped away, that our tears will be wiped, but our memory will not be wiped. We will be capable, however, of choosing not to dwell on things that would diminish our joy, But certainly there will be memories of this life. You know what's going to be present in heaven? The scars on the hands and the feet of Jesus. are going to be there. The presence of the scars of Jesus. Randy Elkhorn writes, God's acts of grace will not be erased from our minds. Heaven's happiness will not be dependent on our ignorance, but on our perspective. We will see and know as never before. Let me read that again. God's acts of grace will not be erased from our minds. Heaven's happiness will not be dependent on our ignorance, but on our perspective. We will see and know as never before. What will we do all day? Fans of contemporary Christian music in the early 90s will know that we are promised by audio adrenaline a big, big yard where we can play football, right? Is that landing with any of you? No? We're going to learn, we'll work, we'll eat, we'll drink, we'll travel, we'll welcome one another, we'll worship. We'll have life, life to the full. Harmonious relationships. Life as God intended. But we're not told much detail, to be honest. Could, this is a great question. Could we sin? Could we sin in heaven? So is there a possibility of another curse? So in, so picture it, in heaven, we need to have free will to love, love, requires a free will to choose. So is it possible that we'll choose to disobey God, to break off relationship with him again? And, and now there's another curse, and we got to repeat the whole process over again. Jesus has got to come again. He's got to die for us. Like, is this just a never-ending cycle? Maybe it's already happened a thousand times. No. So the answer is no. So the answer is no. Revelation 21.4 says, The old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. We're told in the New Testament that in Christ, we have the very righteousness of God. And so the reason we won't sin is the very reason God won't sin. Because we have His righteousness. We're related to Him. We're united now to Jesus. Hebrews 10.14 says that He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We have the promise that we will be delivered from the vulnerability to sin, maintaining a free will to choose love. That sin will become unthinkable for because we're going to see it for the disgusting, dirty little monster that it is. So no, there won't be another curse. Hardest question. Hardest question. And I... It's a great question, and I'm not 100% sure how to answer it. So if any of you have any bright ideas, I'm, I'm all ears. When we are in heaven, and we realize that people that we loved in this life aren't there, will we be sad? Will there be sorrow and grief? That's a really hard, great and hard question here's what we know so again the secret things belong to the lord our god but the revealed things belong to us and our children that we may live in them forever god will vindicate himself as a just and perfect judge the, the scriptures talk about god's, god's vindication he's going to be vindicated as being right and just, and good, and gracious. He will be justified. He will be vindicated. And, we're promised, he will wipe away all tears. There will be no more sorrow, sadness, no more sickness, no more oppression, no more, all the bad stuff. It's all done away with. And so we're told both of those things. And we need to hold both of those things. And is it hard to understand right now how we can hold on to those two things because they seem like contradictory? Yeah, that's hard. They feel like they're in tension with each other. And yet, as disciples of Jesus, we hold on to both of those things. But I don't have a great answer. I don't have a great answer other than that. If you have something, again, I'm all ears. And then lastly, some questions related to the implications on the present. Implications on the present. On our present life. A couple of you asked this question. Three or four of you. Why take care of the earth now if God is just going to renew it? So I've um, thrown out there a few times that uh, god 's going to renew all things, and that provides great reason for us to care about the environment and care about the earth right now and but you know god 's just going to take care of it all anyway, so why should we care now he 's going to fix it all, which is a similar notion. Similar kind of reasoning to the idea, you know what, let's just keep sinning. God's going to forgive. And in fact, he gets glory for forgiving our sins. So if I sin more, maybe I'm just giving him more glory. I'm giving him more stuff to forgive. Let's sin all the more so that grace may abound. Right? And Paul says, God forbid that we think like that. God forbid. May it never be so. You see, when we come into relationship with God, we love what God loves. He gives us new desires. He gives us new callings to do his will. And the the coming kingdom is a revelation of his will. And so if he's going to renew all creation and beautify the earth and, and take care of the earth... And ultimately, fulfill the cultural mandate he gives us in genesis to to take care of creation to steward it, to care for it to 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 um, to shape it and form it, and we love what he loves, and he loves this earth, he loves this creation, he loves the physical we 're not again those who think that physical is bad and dirty and evil, and it 's all just spiritual, and the coming kingdom is some disembodied spiritual existence where we just contemplate no it's Physical, Jesus has a body. He just came in physical. He, Jesus came incarnate, God con carne, right? God with meat, God with flesh and blood and bones. God values this physical world. And so the calling that we have as followers of Jesus is to pull the characters of the coming kingdom into the present. And so we love and care for this creation. Now, um... One of the great questions was, you know, well, you know, how about this whole idea of climate change? And uh, I don't want to be a climate change or be labeled a climate change denier. And it's a loaded. There's there's all kinds of loaded stuff in there. And in our cultural, some of the culture wars that we have, especially south of the border, somehow it's become Christian to deny climate change. To and, and and. um, to be Christian, at least a conservative Christian, is to say no, climate change isn't right. Let's burn all the oil we can. And I don't know how that's all wrapped up. That got Jesus got wrapped up into that. I, I don't. That's beyond me, to be honest. Uh, as followers of Jesus, we're not opposed to science, right? We're not opposed to science. Some of the great scientists of all time were Christians. So if the scientists are telling us the climate is changing, we we don't have to disbelieve that. It's not to despise Jesus to receive that. But that's a whole other can of worms, and I'm not getting into it. That's my cop-out. But it's a great question. how 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 do we thoughtfully engage in it? Because then there's the the other side is 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 quickly turns to idolizing this earth and worshiping this earth and thinking this earth is all God right and and um, and so there's there's a there's a third way there's a third way there's got to be another great question all this talk about heaven seems really rewards based. And in fact, doesn't the New Testament talk about rewards? And there is this great white throne judgment and even followers of Jesus are going to be judged and you're going to be, get rewards for how good your obedience was. And, um, are Christians only looking to the future? Do you use, is heaven just a motivational tool? I don't know if the question gets at the, you know, Karl Marx and the, You know, the opiate of the religion is the opiate of the masses. Is it just a motivational tool to get you to do what I want you to do now? Give me your money now. Give me, you know, your life is going to suck now. But don't worry, heaven's coming. Is it rewards-based? Following Jesus, I'm happy to tell you, is grace-based. It's it's not rewards-based. It's grace-based. Entry to the kingdom of heaven is only By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all grace. It's all grace. Is it a motivational tool? Heaven is pictured in the New Testament as a comfort for those who are suffering, certainly. And it tells us to use the life that we're given, the short span of time we're given now, To spend it on what's most important, to secure for us ourselves as much happiness in the life to come as possible. Like when you spend time and and you you ponder and you think about forever. When we've been there ten thousand years, we've no less days than when we just first begun, right? Ten thousand years, we've we've just scratched the surface. It's it does put into perspective. But we, no, we do not only look to the future. As we've been trying to show in this series, that, that, our, that our, what we believe about the future must have great impact on how we live in the present. And in fact, frees us up to truly enjoy the good gifts that God gives us in the here and in the now. You see, when we take the pressure off, so when you take the pressure off your spouse to be the perfect spouse and to fulfill all of your relational needs now, when that pressure is off, you actually freeze up to actually enjoy them now more. If you have to eke out an eternity's worth of happiness now, everything's got to be just perfect now. This pressure, and it's gonna, everything's going to buckle under that pressure, under the weight of it. But when you take the pressure off, it actually frees you up to enjoy the present as the good gifts that God intends. And so, are we free to travel, and and taste delicious food, and have great parties, and yeah, and but it actually frees us up. Those things don't have to ultimately fulfill us perfectly and forever. And so, when you actually order those things correctly in our lives it actually frees them up to do to 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 receive maximum enjoyment out of them hopefully that helps how can i be sure i will go to heaven how can i be sure that i will go to heaven well i'm glad you asked Sometimes we can read the New Testament, we read the words of Jesus, and he talks about a, a wide is the path that leads to destruction, and narrow is the, is the way that leads to life. And he talks about, there's passages that can strike fear in us, right? When, when he says, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Some will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and I'll do all these wonderful things in your name. And, but I will say, depart from me, I never knew you workers of lawlessness and that we can we can be it can have it can strike fear in us and wonder oh I, is it true of me and when we look inside of our hearts we look in, when we do a true and honest self-examination and we see sin that remains And we're like, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not a true follower of Jesus. Maybe I'm one of those Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. But our faith is in Jesus. The only assurance, the assurance I can give you is to trust in Jesus. Our trust is not in our sinlessness. Our trust isn't that we're awesome. And so when you look inside and you see sin that remains and struggle that remains, that should not surprise us. Our faith is not in our sinlessness, our faith is in Jesus. And so as we look inside and we examine ourselves and we understand that, oh, man, I'm still so broken. I'm still so fallen. We repent. We turn. We, we renounce and say, I don't want that to be true. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I believe you died for that sin. My past sin, my present sin, my future sin. And ask for the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the Holy Spirit can whisper in a hundred different ways. You're my child. I deeply love you. How can I be sure I will go to heaven? The only answer is trust in Christ. Trust in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusts in him, has faith in him, believes in him, would not perish, but would have eternal life. And so trust in Him. Come to Him that you would have life. Our faith is not, and our, our entrance into the kingdom of God and our entrance into heaven isn't based on the strength of our faith. Oh, I've got really strong faith. Or my faith is weak. Our faith is not in our faith. It's not, it's in the object of our faith. Our faith is in Jesus. And he's what saves us. He, who, who, he is who saves us. And so you may have great assurance. Or you may have weak assurance. But if your faith is in Jesus, he'll save you right to the very end. And I would just invite you, I would commend Jesus to you as the one that your, your heart is longing for. The scriptures say that we have eternity. He's placed eternity in our hearts. You hear, you hear the talk of heaven, and, and it's like a, uh, the song of a distant country that you've never learned, but your heart is longing for. And you realize, that's the home I was made for. And it's through Jesus that you enter into that kingdom, as you enter into that home, as you enter into that world of love. And I pray that you do that. And I pray that you're free from fear. As we think about the new heavens and the new earth, that it that it frees us up to live and to risk and to be about our Father's business of making disciples. Because the mission he's given us is urgent. The mission he's given us is of tremendous importance and urgency. And so would he set us free to live into that reality? Would you pray with me? So Father in heaven, would you work these truths deep in our hearts? Work them deep into our hearts, Lord, so that we are free. Free to live and love. Free to risk and to live in the adventure that you call us to. And so fill our hearts, Lord, with anticipation and joy to seek first your kingdom, knowing that all of the other things are going to be added unto us. And for the, Father, for any of these, uh, any of my friends here in the room sitting on the fence with Jesus, maybe dabbling in, in the things of Jesus, Father, I pray that uh, you would open their eyes and that they'd go all in. They'd close with you today. That they would devote themselves fully to you and trust you for your great work for them. In Jesus' name, amen.